Welcome to the show. I am your host, LB Moniz, and this is a portion of episode 87. 87 was recorded on October 24th, 2023, entitled, The American Cult Gets a Hard Reset. What you're about to listen to is one of six installments where I do my best to walk through the complicated nature of the Israel-Palestine conflict in such a way to remove as much of the emotional baggage as we possibly can. I broke this episode out into six episodes for you guys on the free stream. Of course, if you want immediate access to the full two-hour stream, all you have to do is become a member of the Been Awake Elite. It's $50 a year. Buy me dinner. You get full access to this. You don't have to wait. Uh, These are all going to be released over a course of two weeks. Let me just give you a quick rundown of what everything is going to look like, and then you guys can get into the episode. The first episode, 87.1, is pre-knowledge about Israel-Palestine. This, in this episode, I'm going to take you down, take you, take you down a, the road of a piece I wrote about a concept called pre-knowledge. <clears throat> I think this is something we all struggle with or suffer from or just frankly something that is in the modern day and maybe always was, but it's more pronounced in the, in the digital media age. So you're going to learn more about pre-knowledge and how that relates to the Israel-Palestinian conflict. 87.2 is about the post-World War II order in Israel's independence. We're actually going to read... The, together, the Declaration of Independence from the from the Israeli from the early Israelis, and we're going to kind of talk about some of the historical context that is lost, um, lost and purposefully forgotten, I would say, and regarding the founding of Israel. Eighty-seven point three: How religion dictates Middle East politics. We're going to take a closer look at Zionism, and we're going to take a closer look at Islamism. And we're going to talk about how, how, how religion is really what's shaping Middle East politics, not some grand, lofty, secular notions as we might think here in the West. 87.4, when media figures cry out for blood, we're going to take a look at some of the response, especially from the Daily Wire's Ben Shapiro, who, despite popularizing the phrase, facts don't care about your feelings, sure seems to feel a lot about this conflict going on. are Israel and Hamas friends. We're going to take a look at a piece from 2009, the last time there was a major conflict in Gaza and and between Gaza, Israel, Hamas, whatever. We're going to take a look back then, and we're going to show how, in many ways, Israel either allowed Hamas to become the, the terrorist organization it is today, or perhaps even encouraged it to become more militant and more violent. And then finally, we're going to wrap things up. We're going to analyze a dust-up between Austin Peterson and Dave Smith, and then we're going to go through some fun, different things. We're going to cover the speaker's race, which, of course, if you're listening to this now, has already ended. Um, We're also going to talk about some fun things, including how maybe fat people should have better access in hotels. Listen, if you would do me the favor, make sure you're subscribed to beenawake.com. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, LB Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. Live currently. If you're listening to the recording of this, we stream this live on Rumble and in Twitter Spaces. 
Hopefully the audio is okay in Twitter spaces. I know I'm streaming and recording. <laughs> Had a bit of technical difficulties. Who cares? Today's episode, what else is it going to be about? Right? You know, this is, like I said, this is going out live. And of course, over the last week, we've had war break out in the Middle East. A story that is as old as I am, certainly. Certainly as old as I am. It is, um... This is... Is there any... Okay, let's start. Let's start with the title. Let's. I'm trying to think of where I want to start. I got. I got. The first portion of this show is certainly going to be dedicated to the. Um, the first portion of the show is going to be dedicated to. Not even the first portion. A good portion of the show is going to be dedicated to the Israel-Palestine conflict as it exists currently. And. As I said in the episode, the American cult gets a hard reset, okay? So if you're new, I talk here, I talk in terms of the cult of American democracy. And we're going to get into a little bit of more of what I mean by that. And I'm not using cult necessarily in a derogatory sense here. People tend to use cult as like the thing they don't like. Um, I think we're, by and large, very naturally cultist creatures as humans. And so... Uh, it's, it's very, it's, it's wise to assume that we would, that we would fall into them. And I talk about the cult of American democracy to be, de- to be descriptive of a certain mode of being that we all participate in, or at, least, at the very least those of us, those of you who are listening, who are American, um, and to a large extent, because of America's dominance in the world, you actually, you actually, um, because of America's dominance in the world, the rest of the world kind of has to share in this too. And all of this is going to be woven together in, in the narrative of Israel-Palestine. I think there is, without a doubt, no matter who you look at or talk to, if you want the short version, okay, if you want the short version of how you solve your understanding of this situation, what you need to do is ignore anybody who gets emotional and anybody who uses emotionally charged or moralistic rhetoric. And now you're ignoring about 95 to 98% of the people out there talking. And maybe if you're lucky and you read books for the next 10 years, you might come to the conclusion that it's a complicated situation. You might come to that conclusion. Certainly, I would say that's the conclusion I've come to. And what I find most interesting about the Israel-Palestine conflict is how it has really given a hard reset to the cults of American democracy. This this sense-making network that's comprised of mass democracy, people who um the the government the the cathedral, right, in the in the in the Yarvanite sense of things. The press, the universities, and the government. That the people captured within that, who truly believe in many respects that the government is here to help those people look at an issue like this and they're, and they're thrown asunder. Political alliances that have formed since, the 20, since, since 2020 and the COVID tyranny that existed are now gone. People aren't paying attention to them. That's the time that we find ourselves in. And I want to try and set aside ideological arguments as much as I'm able. And I'm not, and I'm, and I'm not going to do that by presenting non-ideological information. We're going to try to use basic sources that even your grandmother 
would recognize as being appropriate to cite. And we're going to try to talk about what is one of the most heated conflicts at the moment in a way that actually attempts to bring some sort of understanding not from not from the cult of not from the standpoint of the cult of American democracy because I'm not necessarily going to be offering any solution because there really aren't any good solutions to what's going on in the Middle East at the moment and there hasn't been and are there reasons for that? Well, those are the kinds of things that we're going to try to get into in the course of the show. Again, I think if I do this episode right, I'm going to upset pretty much anybody and everybody. Um, again, I, I want to point out here from, you know, one thing I try to do, I'm not saying I don't have bias, right? But I have always operated from a skeptical perspective. That is the intellectual foundation that I return to continuously. And it's that foundation that I want to share on the show. And that's part of the impetus behind the Been Awake Project for Better Sensemaking is by applying the tenets of philosophical skepticism to the world around you. In part, you have no, and, and I would argue in part because you have no choice. You have no choice because, well, precisely speaking, you, there's too much information for any one person to consume even myself. In the capacity that the show exists right now, I want to try and distill things into a narrative that'll actually fit. That'll maybe that'll maybe diffuse some of the infused rhetoric because it's all by design. And that's part of what we're going to get into as far as this show is concerned. So, how do I want to start? I guess okay, cool. We are live. Um we're going to start here. I've got pulled up in front of me. Um, and of course, if you, you can see this on Rumble or catch the video replay, but this was, uh, let's go, let's go big picture, right? I really think this was originally tweeted out by NH Pilled, but I don't know, but I'm sure uh, Yolo Swag Studios is the tag. But I'm looking at this picture and it's a car, it's a one frame cartoon and it says dead kid battle. This dead kid proves my point. And then the other person's holding another dead kid and says, this dead kid proves my other point. I'm going to try not to do that in the course of this conversation. Because the reality is they're going to be dead children on both sides. Because everybody knows that war really isn't a great thing. That's one of the reasons why people are clamoring for there to be a justification for the conflict. And why I think people have entrenched themselves on either side. So it might be beneficial then if we try to lay out in broad strokes the ideological camps such as they exist. Like any good conflict, there are two sides to this issue. On one side, you have people who support the state of Israel. And on the other side, you have people who support the... Ex who support the well, isn't that the thing about how complicated this story is? Because you basically are, you're basically framed that this is a conflict between Israel and Hamas, right? Not even Palestine, not even the Palestinians, Hamas. It would be perhaps better if the news organizations who would talk like that would say something like, well, it'd be Likud versus Hamas. Because those are the governing parties, but that's not how we talk. 
right? We talk about Israel versus Palestine. We have in the streets protests that support protests in support of Israel or protests in support of Palestine. Now you look closer, and of course there's variation within that. Part of what we're doing, we're going to do is the case we build here happens, and part of what we're going to do is we're going to build up. And the big reason why we're going to build up was actually the subject of a recent piece I wrote at beenawake.com, which you can go to and subscribe if you want to get all the best stuff that I put out there. You get notified of new episodes of this show, original writings, and of course, appearances that I make on other people's shows. So this article, forgot my own show notes at the beginning there. This is actually, this is where I wanted to start. This article that we're going to walk, that we're going to go through together that I just wrote, it's not an article, it's a piece, right? Something that I wrote to try and hone your sense-making abilities, is called The Peril of Pre-Knowledge. And so you can uh, download the Substack app would probably be the easiest way to keep up with all this stuff. Uh, that's, the, that's the home. You can also join on Locals and Patreon. If you catch the podcast, I'll have more about that, of how you can join. But just go subscribe with your email if you haven't already. So let's read. Because this is going to kind of get into why I want to try and build a narrative from the ground up. I write, with the advent of what we call social media, millions of voices or fingers, as the case may be, have entered the sense-making chorus. Where once the skill of writing was coveted, was coveted, today anyone can speak their thoughts into the written word with a touch. Studies have shown that brain development differs if one is raised within a culture that has the written word compared to cultures which only have the spoken tradition. It is plausible to assume we are contending with a similar metamorphosis where all forms of information, entertainment, and cultural tra transmission have combined into a single category we call content. This fusion has liberated many from traditional roadblocks and gatekeepers, but created a chaotic confusion in its wake. I want to spend a little bit of time with this paragraph here. It is plot. I, so what I'm contending, at least for the purposes of our, at least for the, per the, the, the purposes of our conversation right now, I want to, I want to put something in front of you that I think we're all aware of. And I'm just trying to put, I'm just trying to put a face to it. And that is that the way we consume information and the method by which that information is transmitted has never existed before in human history. We know that there are developmental differences that occur cross-culturally when, when, when one culture has the written word. It allows, for the, it allows for the codification of ideas in such a way that was unlike anything before it. Not to, say that, not to say that things weren't transmitted or couldn't be transmitted because we're pretty remarkable creatures in that regard. But the, the way in which you could put exactly what you think when you, were, when you write something down, that, that is the exact number. It's not a recollection. That's one of the differences. You know, most of the show is extemporaneous. I don't, I don't do... My show prep is usually going over the things that I save and realizing that I've saved probably too much to cover in one live stream, but that's kind of the point. 
And I think of different ideas that I want to jump off of throughout the show. It's one of the things that makes it entertaining, right? It's a certain style. It's radio. But there's a fluidity to the spoken word, extemporaneous spoken word. It's different than when I'm reading the words on the art, uh, that are printed on the page. See, that's a distillation from the pure stream of consciousness. And that limiting factor of the written word is one of the most important developments in human, in human history, of humankind. It's so important that in the Christian tradition, we say that, G- that the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is the word become flesh. That's how, that's how important the word is to human understanding. And I think, and I, you know, from what I can tell, we have a similar problem on our hands today. Not so foundational as the written word, but in the interpretation of the word. The interpretation of the word is what we're talking, is what I contend is the thing we have to go through today. And the part of the reason for that, as I write, is this metaphor, this metamorphosis is where all forms of information, entertainment, and cultural transmission have combined into a single category we call content. It's one of those things that is both liberating and, capt- and, and literally captivating at the same time. I would contend more people today than ever before have discovered what the skeptical philosophers have known since ancient times. Our senses and reason cannot be trusted. From this it follows, our institutions are not infallible as they are filled with those same human brains capable of mistake and bias. See, the truth of the matter is, I can't change your mind. Not unless you want it to be changed. And that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why I, do, why I try to do the show like this. Is if you're willing, you get, to go, you, get to follow, you get to follow the reasoning in a stranger's mind. And you get to see how the dots are made. How the connections between the dots are made, better said. Let's continue reading. Consider that since the ad, because everybody's capable of mistaken bias, myself included. So our senses and reason can't be trusted, not in an absolute sense. What does that mean? That means we have to continually doubt, to put it simply again. Consider that since the advent of the written word, it was safe to assume, follow me here. It was safe to assume that the words one read were carefully chosen and laid down. Right? For most of human history, we could, we could pretty reasonably say, say that. That if somebody was going to take the time to buy a pen, buy paper, and put, put pen to paper, and moreover to have it last throughout time, it was, it was worth saying. Might not have been the right thing to say, but it was worth saying, or somebody certainly thought that. Now, you can in- input a single prompt into AI to generate thousands of meaningless sentences to sell a worthless product, not to mention how an unstable mind can still influence the gullible. This deluge, this deluge of information is overwhelming to even the most careful consumer and even the most savvy consumer can be swept away by the tide of emotion, rhetoric, 
and reinforcement our personalized algorithms produce. There is a phenomenon that I have discovered as I scroll through the various social media apps that I want to bring to the fore in the hopes that it strengthens your ability to discern what is. What is, if you're not familiar, is a concept that I use to, in place of what most people would say is, is a truth. Just talk about what is. That, that word's got a lot of loaded baggage to it, so let's, let's just talk about what is. For now, we're going to call this concept pre-knowledge. Pre-knowledge is the phenomenon whereby your understanding develops not from a linear approach, but from an emergent coalescing patchwork of ideas. To put this idea simply, where once you would read an opus, a magnum opus, right? The great work of a single mind that handled objections, an opus that carefully walked the reader through various objections and parallel ideas. Now, instead, you read a short form post that relies on you having a pre-knowledge, if you will, of what it is they're discussing. The cultural spin out from social media also means that even people from the same school of thought can approach a given subject with a completely different pre-knowledge. This isn't something that can be helped or changed, but it can be counted for as you consume information. If not, you can become the proverbial NPC regurgitating propagandistic scripts written by somebody else. So why do I want to talk about pre-knowledge before we get into this, before we get into this conflict in the Middle East, what I'm saying is a foundational conflict to the post World War II order. I'm saying that because very few of us are are truly, truly experts on the conflict, and even fewer people still have any idea what's going on at the moment. See, one, the reason, one of the reasons why I call it the cult of American democracy as such, and one of the very interesting features of it is its strength and its resilience. Because it's designed, from the ground up, if you will, to handle two dominant narratives, at least. Right? This is, Noam Chomsky talked about this, the Overton window. So you can argue about a lot of things within a narrow band. And as long as you stay on one side or the other, well, if you're a content creator, you get airtime. That airtime could be on a show like this one or on a show that have millions of people that has millions of people tuning in. The method of in- the method of distribution is also at, at a point of a point that we can belabor. Right, the difference between radio and cable news, and now the now the rising podcast networks and this nexus thing. Do you get to go on Joe Rogan to talk about this, or do you get a daytime slot at CNN? Well, I'll tell you what: if you have strong opinions in support of Israel specifically or Palestine specifically, and you want to be in that world of a talking head. You might get on. So there's an incentive put into people to choose a side. That's one of the features of a cult of American democracy. 
We can, ar- we can argue, but we've got to argue along these lines. One side versus the other. And we see it, right? The, the title of this episode is The Hard Reset, because that's kind of what's happened. Since 2020, everything, everybody was talking about new alliances and, you know, inroads made between left and right and between various elements of the right. And really the coalescing of the right, we can say, in the broadest of terms. See, this is the problem is people want to limit these things. And, there's, and that's part of the nature of who people on the right are is putting limits on things. But we can understand this in the broadest of terms. We've seen very quickly how people have fallen in line. Where they, would have been, where they would have been skeptical of the government line before, they are now marching in lockstep. So what are these sides in the cult of American democracy? On one side, we have the champions of civilization. We have the champions of civilization, the people who understand the hard work it takes to get things done. The type of people who wake up at 6 a.m. and go to work because that's how, that's how society functions. They hold the door open for people. They believe in rules. They might break the speed limit, but they don't get upset if they get a speeding ticket every now and then. Because, hey, That's just the price of living in a civilized society. They want their everyday lives back. And they want everybody to live the life they have at the level of comfort that they have experienced here in America. The defenders of civilization back Israel. And then... On the other side, we have the advocates for the oppressed. We have the advocates for the oppressed. The type of person who follows the message of Christ. Right? Who sa- or at least that's what they'll say who want to embrace an ethic that takes care of the other. Blessed is the, blessed is the sinner, after all. These are people who look to the poor and to the marginalized in society and say, let me give you a hand. Let me help you up. Let me lift up your voice with mine. And let me bring you into the society that I enjoy this society of plenty that I have in front of me. So we have on one side the vanguard of civilization and on the other side the advocate for the oppressed. That sure sounds a lot different from most of what you hear covering this subject, doesn't it? Why do I put it in in those terms? Well, in part because despite what I know, 
There's still a part of me that understands why, when the average person looks at the Israel-Palestine conflict, they say, well, you have a functioning Western democracy on one hand and a backwards people on the other. And I understand from that that for most people who don't, who again, most people who make up the vast majority of people who don't pay close, who aren't news junkies, but who still want to understand what's going on, this is the show for you, by the way, you're wondering that that's what you see. You see that. And you wonder why you wonder why it is that the bat why you don't wonder why that they can't just behave, and that they don't have the same kind of society. You, you wonder why the Palestinians don't have the same society as the Israelis do. And for the other for the other camp that we delineated, you see the plight of the Palestinian people. You hear about the conditions that they live in. You have read about things like the Nakba. You've read, you under, you maybe, you, you just, you understand that this is an oppressed people and oppression is always wrong. So much so that you think anything, any kind of violence can be justified against that because it's the violence of the unheard. It's the violence of the revolution. It's the violence of the liberate, the people, the liberators of the oppressed. That doesn't really sound like a day, like a great thought. Of course, the people who vanguard civilization, they don't want any barbarians to storm the gate, and so they kind of understand that you might just have to wipe out the problem. After all, they're a backwards people. Have you noticed that both of these camps lead to the same outcome? The wiping out of an entire people, in the worst case, right? I'm not trying to be hyperbolic on the show, but I am trying to show you the logic of the incentive structure put forth by the ideologies. Before we get into any facts, by the way, that's what I see when I look out at the when, when I look out at what's going on in the news cycles. And there's good reason for that. Where should we start? Well, where I love to start on this show. Because I try, we take a large scope of history, but I do try to narrow it when I can. And I've talked a lot about, like in the post-libertarian moment to find, I talk a lot about the, the post-World War II order. If you like what you heard today, go to inawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz. And I am not one with the woke.